0: of the uh, images that the Bible uses uh, to talk about church and think about uh, each of them in turn. So the body, uh, the church as family, uh, first of all, and then the church as um, body later on this morning. Um, ideas that God has given us to help us understand how he wants his church uh, to be and what he wants his church to be. Um, and uh, it's a joy to start with perhaps the nicest and coziest of ideas that we get in the New Testament, uh, the church as family. It goes without saying that the whole idea of um, family, I think, is something that is struggling to survive um, in our society. Um, something like 42% of marriages in the UK now end in divorce. Um, one in five marriages will end before 10 years has passed. Uh, and in fact, the fastest growing type of family in the UK is now the one that involves non-married, cohabiting couples. I suppose quite a vulnerable, unstable um, setup. Um, And so inevitably there's a lot of uh, relational damage that flows out of a lot of uh, broken homes uh, around us. And in fact, even where a couple stay married, um, that's no guarantee of a blissful life, is it? We could go around this room, I'm sure, uh, and share stories of uh, difficult family situations, which is just the reality of living as sinful people in a broken world. Advances in technology mean we are now, in theory, more connected uh, than we've ever been. Uh, I guess even during this talk, the the most popular among you will probably get... uh, Although it's a bit of a signal black spot, uh, Ashburner, (laughs) is it? Uh, But even so, you probably get messages from people and friends all around the world. Uh, We are more connected than ever. And yet the reality is, in the midst of all this connectivity... Uh, we are, in some sense, more isolated than ever, I think. A survey a few years ago among GPs in the UK found that 75% of doctors say that up to five people come to see them a day simply because they are lonely. is that shocking? Three quarters of GPs say they see five people a day uh, because they're lonely. Some say it was ten, up to 10 people a day uh, going to the GP. Uh, complaining of that condition. It's very sad. And again, I'm going to assume that for many of us here, that's something uh, that we can relate to, something that perhaps doesn't surprise us as a statistic. Well, we're going to read some verses now that show us that God expects his people, the church, uh, to buck the trend of the world around us, that he expects the church to be some, something of a, re- a relational oasis um, in the relational desert uh, around us. So, I wonder if you could turn to 1 Peter and chapter 1. Uh, And we're going to read from verse 13 of chapter 1 to verse 3 of chapter 2. And I understand Matthew's going to read fast. Great. So, 1 Peter 1, starting at verse
1: 13. Call to be holy. So cut away all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good.
0: Great. Thanks very much, Matthew. So I don't know if you, how well you know this letter, but uh, Peter has a lot to say in this letter about the identity of Christians. It's <laughs> one of the big themes uh, that he writes about who you are uh, as Christians. And so much of what he has to say focuses on their, identi- their collective identity uh, as Christians, not just as uh, an individual person or people, uh, but together. Who are they now? And this passage is uh, no exception. He's talking about them as a group, uh, and it's full of family language, isn't it? So first he says that Christians are to be obedient children of a holy father who call on God as Father. We are the children, he is the Father. This is a family uh, picture. And this may sound obvious, may not sound very uh, groundbreaking or new, um, but I think there are many aspects of the Christian faith that we uh, quite quickly take for granted. And I think this is definitely one of them, the idea that we can call God Father, that we can regard ourselves as his children. Partly because people assume that everyone uh, is a child of God. I think even my friends who are not Christians would say, but we're all God's children. Uh, everyone would feel comfortable kind of praying the Lord's Prayer, for example, our Father in heaven. Um, and we think everyone is uh, a child of God. And it doesn't seem that surprising. But actually, according to the Bible, that's not true. Uh, we are not children of God. So, or at least we are not born children of God. Uh, we see that description uh, in Ephesians. Again, back in, uh, back in Ephesians, Paul describes people outside of Christ as without hope and without God in the world. Um, Jesus, even more punctually, uh, in one of his uh, arguments with the religious authorities in John chapter 8, they claim, we have one Father, even God. I don't know if you remember his reply. Mm-hmm. He, said, he basically says, no, you don't. Uh, you are of your Father, the devil, if you, if your father were God, then you would love me. Outside of Christ, anyone who isn't a Christian is without God in the world, certainly not a child of God, which means this is an all-new privilege uh, for us. One of the great blessings of being a Christian, adoption and uh, the ability now to call God our father. Uh, your place, my place in his family. Imagine God's family portrait. There is now a place for you. Uh, in that picture and Peter says because of that uh, we are to be obedient children uh, of our new holy father Uh, throughout my childhood I used to get uh, sick of people saying oh we know whose son you are doesn't he look just like his father I found it a bit frustrating I thought my dad was embarrassing enough uh, (laughs) without thinking I was I was like him um, in that kind of inescapable way but that's just the way family works isn't it Uh, It's quite fun at our church. We're quite a a youngish congregation, but every now and again, someone's parents uh, turn up to church and you can play that game. It becomes quite obvious whose parents they are. uh, And then you start to see where someone's got their nose or mannerisms or or, or, or whatever. It's quite interesting to see. And so now Peter talks about uh, Christians in this new family beginning to adopt all sorts of family likenesses, but not physical likenesses. Uh, rather, moral, moral likeness. Uh, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, uh, be holy in all your conduct. Uh, so on the one hand, uh, what he calls passions of your former ignorance. Everything that used to dictate uh, the way you live. And now those are chucked out and replaced with a new set of values. Replaced with Holiness. And he builds on this idea a bit more in verses 17 and 18. If you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. More family language there, do you see? Saying you've got two family histories. You've got your uh, that inherited from your forefathers, and then you've got this new one uh, with God. As father, and this is not a comment on your fathers, necessarily. You, many of you may have had very wise, uh, godly, uh, wonderful parents. The contrast Peter is drawing here is a contrast between a uh, humanity without God, um, which Peter describes as a, a futile, dead-end way of living, and now this, this new hope that you have as god 's children belonging uh, in god 's family and all the transformation that that brings. So as a church then, as God's people, it ought to be the case that more and more there is a distinctive family way of life. And here's the challenge. People ought to be be able to look at us and say in some sense, I know who your father is. You look just like him. There are lots of things we can't imitate about God. Lots of things we shouldn't try and imitate about God. Uh, But as those who've come into his family, his moral likeness should be more and more evident uh, among us. You are just like your father. And there are lots of ways um, this will apply. Of course, holiness is one of those words that just kind of touches every area of life, isn't it? We could go through and and often we would think something about our individual uh, behavior, go through areas of life. And that would be uh, a right thing to do. Uh, this touches on our thoughts uh, our actions our decisions and so on but here peter notice goes straight on to collective behavior he talks to them as a group when he comes to describe holiness uh, he wants them to understand how it's going to change their interactions um, as a family so family behavior which is what i want to focus on now obedient children uh, of a holy father seen in lives of loving brothers and sisters so, verse 22 again. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, I think that means having obeyed the gospel and being saved, now love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Peter talks about salvation, do you notice, as the, a move into a new family. Saying that's what you're, you're saved for. That's God's <clears throat> purpose in saving you. You've been saved for sincere brotherly love. You've been saved so that you can come into this family and join in this remarkable family way of life. A family of sincere love for your brothers and sisters. I think this is the sort of family that everyone dreams of being a part of, isn't it? don't know if you ever find yourself slipping into envying uh, other families. I guess we've all done it at at some point. A lot of families look great from a distance. You think, how do they achieve such an idyllic kind of way of life? Uh, But then the reality becomes more apparent as you get closer or spend more time with them. And you see, actually, they have uh, their problems as well. But this is the sort of family that everyone ought to envy. It ought to be attractive to the world. And actually, the more time you spend in this family and the closer you get to this family... Uh, the more attractive it ought to become. I'm aware that for some people, the very image of family or or even fatherhood uh, might not be happy images uh, or associations. I'm very sorry if that's uh, the case for people here today. But I think Peter here is calling us, even if that is the case, to look beyond our own painful experiences and to see that what God is calling together here is the sort of family uh, we dream of and long for. God is the best sort of father uh, you could ever have. Uh, even if you, had great, uh, if you have great human fathers, uh, God is infinitely wise, infinitely powerful, infinitely loving, never makes a mistake, always knows what is best, always does what is best, always present. And among his children, there is sincere brotherly love. Um, this is what we started thinking about yesterday in some of those uh, questions Uh, yesterday morning love with no masks a love that's massively appealing isn't it wouldn't it it be great to live in a family where people are sincere and honest where people don't say one thing to your face and then uh, another when you when they get home where you can walk into a room and feel like you don't have to pretend which can be so exhausting uh, and just be real it's a very attractive love but it's also a very demanding kind of love Uh, peter here says love people earnestly from the heart and that word earnestly is quite old-fashioned isn't it i don't think many of us really know what it means it has the original word in in greek has a sense of straining or or stretching So I don't know if we've got any yoga fanatics in the room, but we could adopt a fairly simple yoga pose. Can you can you give me one of those? Just kind of hands together above the above the head, Um, and and you begin to feel. I mean, depending on your mobility, you might already feel a bit of a stretch, a bit of a burn. And then in yoga, they do this thing, don't they? They go, "Give me one more inch, one more inch," and you go, "One more inch, okay, it's kind of possible." And then one more inch. There, you are straining and stretching. That image there is how Peter says you are to love one another. Okay, put your, uh, put your arms down. Uh, straining for one extra inch, so let me rearrange myself. Um, deeply, sincerely, earnestly, in a, a stretching kind of way. Um, there was a song back in the 90s, when they, um, which I think was the, the, our culture's best attempt at defining love as truly, madly, deeply. I think they made it into a film as well. <laughs> Um, some of the younger folk probably won't know what that uh, remember that Um, I think we can drop them madly probably let's not love one another madly I'm not sure even what that means Um, uh, but truly and deeply Peter would add sincerely earnestly but it is demanding isn't it and even as we think about these ideas you may think well it's just not possible it's a, a pipe dream how can Peter expect us even to get close Well, as usual in his letter, he gives us lots of motivation, lots of uh, reasons uh, and ways to uh, move towards uh, loving each other like this. Three things to help us uh, to do this. Firstly, he gives us a reason. Verse 23, love one another since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. In other, in other words, love one another. Be, love one another because you have in common a great miracle. Uh, you have in common a, a new birth, which you all share. A new DNA. You've been born of the imperishable Word of God. So that, that means every Christian will live f- forever uh, together. Forever. Human life is dependent on uh, DNA. Is it? I'm not much of a scientist, so if I if I say anything wrong. Perhaps uh, the more knowledgeable ones among us can uh, correct me. But I think uh, we have inside this DNA, this amazing genetic code, like a word of over 3 billion letters, uh, it's beyond my uh, understanding. And in human beings, over 99% of that 3 billion uh, letter word is identical. Uh, so you are not, we are not so different, uh, you and I. A human life comes from this shared uh, DNA word inside us. And Christian life, the the new life that we have, also comes from a word. uh, Not the genetic code of DNA, but the word of the gospel, the imperishable word. And Peter draws this contrast. He says, all flesh is like grass, its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. So so as, as impressive as DNA is, As diverse as DNA life is, ultimately it dies and fades away. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Life that comes from the word of the Lord uh, remains forever. And the, the, the logic he comes up with here is that ought to change the way we love one another. means you look around church and and rather than seeing people who are very different from us in all sorts of ways these verses help us see that we have the biggest thing in common uh, with each other indeed this word that has given rise to new life that we share is not just 99% identical now in in us it's 100% identical we all share the same gospel DNA DNA. Uh, we are not so different you and I and all these people around you then will be living forever, sharing the same gospel DNA as you. It's one of the joys of church family, I find, when you see people who ordinarily would not really ever engage with each other, would, wouldn't really be friends with each other. Uh, We've got a huge range of personalities and backgrounds at uh, Christchurch Kensington. We've got quite a few kind of scientists, uh, others kind of less academic. We've got some who are sporty, uh, others uh, less so, some with high-flying city jobs, others with um, more kind of mundane jobs of all all kinds. Uh, And I love it when I see unlikely-looking friendships and relationships um, developing. It's a real church thing. It's a real gospel thing. Because the world out there would never say to some of these people, oh, you should meet so-and-so because... Well, it would struggle to finish that sentence. Because what? Same job? Same background? Same same was. But then the Gospel says you have the same Gospel DNA. You have been brought into the same family. You're going to live together forever. It also changes the way we... Uh, think about the things that we think make us so different, doesn't it? Um, I think we make distinctions on quite superficial uh, uh, bases, so class, background, nationality, jobs, um, hobbies, all these things which make people feel very different uh, from us. But all these things actually are of the flesh. They are fleshly differences. And those things, like the flower of grass, will, will fade away. There are temporary differences that, are, that will soon uh, disappear. And so it would be a shame if we only ever looked for people within church uh, who are just like us. It's very easy to do. Uh, I guess we've all been there when you, kind of, you walk into church and maybe you're, you're scanning the room for the, the three or four people that you really click with, who, are, who you find it easiest to be around. People who are most like us, usually. I think that's a shame. I think we're missing out if we do that. There's nothing wrong with having close friends, of course. I think, let's be realistic, it's very difficult to maintain a hundred really close relationships. Um, but what I'm saying is if we, if we, if we only focus on those, um, then we are missing out on the family that God has uh, gathered around us. And we are hardly stretching and straining ourselves in our love for people if we only go for those relationships that feel quite easy um, and natural. I'm always quite ashamed when I look back to my first Bible study group, uh, when I first came to London start, to start work um, many years ago now, more years, than I care to uh, care to add up. But I remember walking into the room, and I joined in February, so they were kind of halfway through the year, and it was a, a big church building with lots of different groups, and and I was shown over to the table that I was going to join. I remember looking around at them, thinking, oh, there were so many other groups that looked a little bit cooler um, you know, this table looks I just look like such a bunch of nerds really and obviously I was extremely cool myself <laughs> in my own perception and to my shame I mean, well joyfully I can say that by the summer I had such an affection for that group uh, and, it, and I had such a good time those months were so precious uh, in that group but my, but my initial reaction still haunts me but although it's I guess it's kind of natural isn't it see people who think, I can't see this working. Uh, they're so different to me. But actually, it was a really precious experience. So as we learn to see the eternity that we share with other people, um, so we learn to love one another earnestly from the heart. So that's uh, Peter's big uh, motivation. And I think he gives us a bit of guidance on how to maintain those relationships. So secondly, love one another by rooting out the relational poison. Chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. This is not a list of every bad thing a Christian needs to get rid of uh, or fight against. I'm sure you could think of other things that in the Christian life we ought to be trying to, to put away. But I think Peter here is focusing on things that ruin relationships. I think he's highlighting here relational poison and things that stop us from being ever being a family where people are going to get loved sincerely and deeply. And it's fairly obvious how uh, these things would work uh, so negatively. M- malice, I guess that's mouthing off about someone, uh, even if it never makes it out of our mouths, just the feelings of resentment that we sometimes hold in our hearts. I think technically malice means the desire to do someone harm. Um, so you could see quite obviously why that would be a bad thing in a church family and you may think well I'm miles away from ever thinking that Uh, you all seem like very decent reasonable calm controlled kind of people uh, who wouldn't ever want to do harm to someone but I just wonder whether this might be easier than we think uh, to slip into I think we drift towards malice in baby steps and who knows part of the reason of for not feeling malice, maybe because we don't know people very well or we haven't had the time to, to get to know them very well in that, in that sense that if I were with you a lot and then there'd be habits of mine that start to really get on your nerves and you might to develop, you, might develop, uh, you know, this, this feeling of malice might become more of a danger. Um, it's very easy to be courteous to people if we only see them once a fortnight for an hour or so and we can put on nice smiles and so on. Easy to avoid malice simply by not investing in a relationship uh, and keeping things superficial, but I don't think that's what Peter has in mind. Um, malice might be an obvious, a more obvious danger. Once you think down the road, another five, ten years or longer. Once we've given each other's habits long enough to get on each other's nerves. Um, once we are in each other's lives more and more, with sincerity, without the masks. We need to fight. Any hint of malice, you need to root it out early. If someone offends you, tell them quickly. Don't let it fester. If there are patterns of behaviour uh, that upset or annoy you, have the honesty to to chat with each other uh, and root those things out early. Then Peter talks about deceit and hypocrisy. Not hard again to, to see why these would stop us from being a, lovel- a loving family. We share the new DNA of the gospel, God's truth. And if we are children of truth, of a, of a heavenly father who never lies, well, so we should be a family of truth, of not pretending. Wouldn't it be great to live in a family where you know people are telling you the truth? You can trust their word. You don't need to fear that people are might be out to deliberately deceive you. Where we're not playing those games of Hypocrisy where you have to peel off layer after layer to get to the truth. I think church life gives rise to a whole new risk of hypocrisy actually. Can be, churches can be fertile places for hypocrisy because in church we all know that there's a higher standard that we ought to be living uh, by. We all know that there are certain feelings we ought to feel more of. Uh, So there is this extra pressure that might not exist out there in the world to present ourselves in a certain way and to want to be seen uh, in a certain way. Trouble is, it's so contagious. Hypocrisy breeds hypocrisy. If a few of us put on a face that says uh, we are perfect Christians and, Mm -hmm. and we have no struggles, pretty soon everyone else is going to do the same because they don't want to stand out and look bad. And before long, any sort of genuine family relationships become virtually impossible because who knows what's going on uh, below the surface. So deceit and hypocrisy, Um, envy, that's got to go. No one wants to be envious. I don't think no one sets out thinking, I'm going to be envious today. Um, But it's so easy to feel, isn't it? Your brothers and sisters do well. Something in life turns out to their benefit. Uh, Some happiness comes their way. They have it easy. They don't have the struggles that you face. I take it I don't need to describe this very much uh, uh, because we we all know how envy feels. As much as we try to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, sometimes we just want their rejoicing for ourselves. But it's so dangerous in this family way of life because if you envy someone... It's very hard to keep strenuously trying to work for their good. It's very hard to to love them in a costly way if deep down what you're already feeling is, no, you've got too much good and I want some of your good. I'm hardly going to work for you to have any more. So watch out for those thoughts. If you're the sort of person who never feels envy, uh, then great. But for the rest of us human beings, uh, those feelings crop up, don't they? But just don't let them stick around. It's natural enough to feel them. Um, I think the, the, the key is to deal with them uh, as soon as they emerge. Uh, a bit like our, our cats at home. Um, this is my parents. We have two cats uh, who I love dearly. But they love to jump up on the, on the dining room table. At which point there are two things you could do. You could deal with it quickly and get them off the table, in which case the meal carries on. Um, if you let them stay on the table, before long they'll be at your plate uh, eating away and the whole meal is ruined. I think a lot of these uh, feelings or emotions that creep into our heads need to be dealt with like the cat on the table. Get them off quickly before they, re- they ruin the whole meal. And the same goes uh, for slander, fairly obviously. Um, social and relational poison. So those are the things Peter wants us to put away. Those are the things that are going to uh, kill off this family way of life. Uh, but he also points us to the opposite of poison here. If those things will, will kill off the word family, there is something else that will grow the word family, to be more and more like our Father in heaven. Verse 2 of chapter 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. A pure spiritual milk. It's a interesting phrases and i think it's literally the the wordy milk the milk of god's word the same word that gave you life in the first place is the same word that will grow us up uh, into salvation and so peter says long for it uh, crave uh, this milk i have all sorts of unhealthy cravings in my life uh, chocolate digest digestives will be right up there despite emma's best efforts to uh, Clear the cupboards of any remaining packets. But here's a craving that will do us good. Uh, the, the, a healthy craving that will grow you up in your new identity. Uh, be like the babies, uh, says Peter, crying for the milk. Um, I have a, a nephew who's just turned three. It's been a real joy um, seeing him growing up and spending time with him over the last uh, three years. And it's really given me a new appreciation uh, for what Peter is talking about here. Because when it gets to milk time with Archie, he there is nothing that you can distract him with. Uh, he It's just the milk, and even his favorite toy becomes com- utterly irrelevant at that point. Uh, only the milk is gonna keep him happy, and it's a real privilege to give it to him, uh, to give him his bottle before bedtime, because this desperate pleading, sometimes with tears, uh, suddenly just turns into this kind of glow and a smile, and he, this, he takes hold of the bottle, he takes control, and then he's... Uh, Then you get nothing out of him for about 15 minutes and he's just non-stop guzzling. And then occasionally you get more tears at the end after the last kind of bubbly suck out of the the bottle. And he wants more, uh, more milk. If we are to have any hope to grow as God's family, uh, we need something of that uh, urgency, something of that craving uh, in our lives. We need the milk of his word. Uh, Be hungry for it. There are all sorts of opportunities, aren't there, for us to be fed uh, with the milk of God's word. Uh, Sundays, home groups, come to those things and get hold of that bottle and drink it in down to the last bubbly suck. And actually many of you, I hope most of you, will have a, a Bible at home. You've got milk on tap. Uh, you've probably, maybe you've maybe even got the Bible on your phone. Uh, there's milk that goes around with you all day long. It's a bottle that actually that never runs dry. And nor will you ever reach a point, nor, nor will any of us reach a point in our Christian lives where we don't need to keep drinking. We need this for as long as God gives us in this life. And as we do these things, as we, as we put away the relational poison, as we drink in the milk of God's word and grow up in our salvation, then we will become more like our Father in heaven, the one who loves us sincerely, sincerely, And deeply and earnestly. And we will be better equipped to love one another in the same way. That's what we've been saved for. That was God's purpose. He's brought us into a family in order to do this. It's a family that I would be thrilled, am thrilled uh, to be a part of. It's the family that the watching world ought to look at. And some might just say, I know who your father is, you look just like him. Shall I pray that be true? Uh, for us. Our Father, we thank you first and foremost for your love to us, uh, the ultimate picture of costly, sacrificial love, uh, even to those who merited no love. Uh, when we were unlovely, you gave your Son. Uh, this, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and thank you that you want us to be conformed to your image that you want us to love one another in the same way that you have loved us And we pray that that sort of love that which is sincere and earnest and from the heart would be more and more on display among us but I do pray that for the life of Christchurch we thank you for the ways it's already in evidence already been seen uh, this weekend and uh, through many years for examples of sincere brotherly love. And we pray that through the milk of your words uh, you would uh, help this church to grow up even more, uh, that that would be more and more in evidence, that they would they would be more and more sharing the likeness of their Father in heaven. Uh, and I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes. we've um, got about five minutes, so I'm um, well, really